Good morning, everyone. No, Billy was talking about getting certified. I, my wife accuses me of not listening. I'm the only man that ever happens to. And uh, one of the things I thought he said, if you're certifiable, you can join us. And I thought, well, I could join that group, but uh, I don't know about being certified. It's a privilege to be with you. Turn with me, if you will, to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I actually sent in the wrong passage, and they graciously called me and told me that that didn't fit. So uh, we went to the real one. I guess I couldn't make a sermon out of it, but uh, that would be kind of hard to uh, make a sermon out of a text that doesn't fit, since you're actually supposed to take the Scripture and let it guide your thoughts and your points. Nearly... 500 years ago next month, a young German pastor went in his home, where he was serving, town of Wittenberg, and he wanted to start a public discourse on really what it means to be a Christian. So what he did, he had typed out a list of 95 things up for debate, and he nailed them on the church door there at Wittenberg. That was a normal thing, and what he wanted was to have a debate. And the first part of the thing he wrote up there was about repentance. Martin Luther had found something that he just thought was so incredible. He found a passage in the Bible that said, the just, those who will be right with God, will live by faith. That demands a relationship with the living God, which is personal in nature. And Luther wanted everybody to know about it. Little did he know that it would get him in trouble. It would get him under the band. It would get him excommunicated. It would get him with a threat near death. And ultimately, it would be the thing that changed the course of the Christian faith all over the world. That those who will be right with God must know him and know him personally. This passage that Paul writes for us says this, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. All these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The Bible talks about a lot of things, and I, I just use very simple theology. I don't know any complex theology. I can't get carried away in that sort of thing. I'm just not smart enough to know it. What I think we can discern from this passage is something that every human being on the face of the planet should know. One, that the God who exists is knowable. I want you to think about somebody. And I said, that's not a big theological point. We already know that. But if you think about it, every culture on the face of the planet is religious. All of them have religion of some kind. 
They have an enhanced philosophy they seek. They think we have this God or this goddess or these gods and these goddesses. And it goes on and on. Every human being on the face of the planet in a culture seeks after some power, being, or anything that is greater than themselves because God has planted us within us a desire to know Him. The people who lived in the city of Corinth to whom Paul wrote are no different. They were no different. As a matter of fact, they had all kinds of gods and goddesses. They had a great group of gods and goddesses. They had the god of the sky, they had the god of the thunder, they had the god of the underworld, the god of the sea. It goes on and on and on and on and on. As a matter of fact, when Paul visited a sister city of Athens over in the book of Acts, it says, I perceive you have all these gods. Here is a statue and it says, to the unknown God. That's the one Paul said you should be serving. So the Corinthians were searching. Paul's writing to them and saying to them that God can be known. We call that in systematic theology, if you just look around, general revelation. It does not take a rocket scientist any great wisdom to look in the sky and see stars and say, how did they get there? How did they show up? To just say they just appeared is kind of not very intuitive, is it? How did the tree get here? How did the apple get here? How did Miss Daisy, uh, our basset hound, just get here? And I know she came from her mother, basset hound, but you know, I'm one of those irritating people. I want to know where the first thing came from. Well, God gives us the answer to that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And listen to what the Bible says. Even the people who discern that God created something, we reject God. Paul writes this to the Romans, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through that which has been made, so that they are without excuse. In Charleston, we'd say he's talking about weans, us, all of us. And every human being that has ever lived has rejected God. Every one of them. All of us. We know who he is, we know he exists, yet we have rejected him. Now Paul does something even better than saying God is knowable. He said God is personal. I like people for the most part, don't you? Aren't you glad that God didn't make us with two heads? Could you imagine the arguments we could get in with each other? I'm smarter than you, my brain is bigger, I'm better looking than you, you know, all that sort of thing that we do. God in His wisdom made Himself not only knowable but personal. Look what He writes here. He says this, For the love of Christ controls us. Christian theology teaches that Jesus Christ is fully God in every aspect. That Jesus Christ created the earth and all in it. That the Father and Son and Holy Spirit worked together for the human race and that the Son came to the earth to give Himself as a sacrifice so that God could be known personally. Jesus drew disciples to Himself. He drew others to Himself. He drew you and I to Himself. He is personal. It is always about a personal relationship. 
Now, I want to explain this in human terms a little bit. We have personal relationships. I'm married, uh, been married to the same woman almost 35 years. Uh, Teresa over there. And could you imagine this? I'd come home and say, Teresa, darling, baby, whatever little term of infection you want to do right before you get ready to say something dumb, as most men do, I really like you a lot. I even love you, but this personal relationship stuff is not going to work for me. I need my space. I need my freedom. We can live in the same house. You can cook dinner for me if you want to, breakfast. You can even sew up my socks. These are called darning the socks, but nobody knows what that means anymore. I'll even let you do this, but that's as close as I ever want to be. The ladies have the mo out here have the most stern look on their face. They know that doesn't work, does it, ladies? It doesn't work. It was never meant to work. One cannot say, I want Jesus, and I want to do this. And it's always about an intimate relationship. And what Martin Luther wrote in those 95 theses, the first one, is about repentance. Repentance is a good thing. It's not a negative thing. It's not a down thing. It is a marvelous act in which a human being says, Lord Jesus, I believe all that you've said about me. I am a sinner I am without hope without you. And so one turns their mind and heart to God in faith and repentance and becomes one with Christ. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that when we become a Christian, God sends the gift of the Holy Spirit. God himself lives within us. You don't get more personal than that, do you? A personal relationship. Because only in a personal relationship with Christ, and you go from general revelation, everybody knows there's a God to a personal God. Here's the third part about it. Only in a relationship with that personal God can one ever get to heaven. When we die, we are not extinguished. When we die, we are not sent to a happy land where everything is wonderful. When we die, there are two choices. And the choice has already been made. Do nothing and go to hell. Come to know Christ or go to heaven. It is that simple and that simple of a choice for every human being. I hear Dr. May preach it time and time again. It is so simple, but how do so many people miss it? That answer is easy. We like the old stuff. Look what Paul says here to them. Verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, meaning in a saving relationship, he is a new creation. Just like Jesus told Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. The old things have passed away. Those two words, old things in the Greek text, they're a word, and we get the English word archaic, old. Kind of like my hair. It's getting gray. It's getting archaic. It's getting old. We're getting old. Could you imagine all the stuff from 20,000 years ago, or however long the earth's been here, we don't know. I'm actually a young earth person. But think about it. 
With God, it is always new, it is always fresh. And what Paul is saying, all the junk of your life and my junk needs to pass away, yet some people still like doing it. Francis Schaeffer, who was a Christian philosopher who died in the 80s, he wrote a lot about how human beings should live who are in Christ. And he said, in America, what we decided to do was to seek God through everything else but the Bible. We decided that wealth would be a way that we would get to be happy. It didn't work. In the 60s, there was the drug culture. It didn't work. Some of you may know the name Jimi Hendrix, an outstanding guitarist who had great potential, but who died of a drug overdose. And people searched, and Schaefer said they searched, and they searched, and they searched, and at the end of the search, they were worse off than when they began because they didn't know Jesus Christ. Listen what the book of Psalms says about God. In the presence of the Lord there is fullness of joy and pleasures at His right hand forevermore. Don't you like that? Isn't that the way to live? To be in full joy and the way to have the presence of God is through salvation. The search ends with Christ. What Paul says, this new creation, means we have to learn new things, get rid of the old junk. How do you do that? Begin to read and study the Bible. Begin to read what God has for us and then let Him apply it in our lives. Old stuff. So the barrier between God and humanity is broken down through salvation. First four commandments are possible. And then through salvation, the next six commandments are made possible. The barrier between us and our fellow human beings is broken. We can love them. How many of y'all ever had somebody say something bad about you? Everybody? How many, now, here's the hard one. You don't want to raise your hands on this one. How many of y'all said something bad about somebody else? Yeah, I got that one too. We don't have to live that way. And the way to overcome that is to love other human beings more than they don't like us. The Bible commands it. The Bible is not a book that asks us to do things. It is God commanding it, and it is always for our benefit. Old things have passed away. And he says, now all these things are from God, not human generated. We discover where we came from. We discover why we exist. We discover where we're going in Christ. And we discover a newness of life that not only supersedes the old, but makes us happy. No one ever became a Christian in truth and ever turned back. Ever. Because you find peace and happiness. I like to tell stories, and on the screen there will come up a picture of a young lady. And this lady was like a lot of people. Her name was Norma McCorvey. Do you know, do you, how many of y'all recognize, just a show of hands, how many of y'all recognize who this is? If you go to Shorter, you should, because I used her picture at Convocation. Norma McCorvey was an interesting woman 
Have you ever heard of the Supreme Court decision of Roe versus Wade, where abortion was legalized in the United States? This is Roe. Norma McCorvey. She had a rough life. She was abused. When you read what she wrote in this book, One by Love, it will amaze you how tough she had it. She allowed herself to be talked into becoming the plaintiff in Roe v. Wade. She was pregnant. Norma McCorvey never had an abortion. But in the United States, abortion was legalized. Norma McCorvey became a Christian after that. I want you to listen to what she said. It is so poignant to illustrate what Paul says here, whoever is in Christ is a new creation. Listen to this. She said, I was sitting in Operation Rescue's offices when I noticed a fetal development poster. The progression was so obvious. The eyes were so sweet. It hurt my heart just looking at them. I ran outside and it finally dawned on me, Norma, I said to myself, they're right. I had worked with pregnant women for years. I had been through the three pregnancies and deliveries myself. I should have known. Yet something in that poster made me lose my breath. I kept seeing the picture of that tiny 10-week-old embryo and I said to myself, that's a baby. It's as if blinders just fell off my eyes and I suddenly understood the truth, that's a baby. I felt crushed under the truth of this realization. I had to face up to the awful reality. Abortion wasn't about products of conception. Uh, it was about children being killed in their mother's wombs. All those years I was wrong. Signing that affidavit, Roe v. Wade, I was wrong. Working in an abortion clinic, I was wrong. No more of this first semester, tri second trimester, third trimester stuff. Abortion at any point was wrong. It was so clear, painfully clear. The way Norma McCorvey came to that is because a Christian minister set up a shop right beside the abortion clinic and witnessed to her. He didn't condemn her. He just kept sharing Jesus Christ, sharing Jesus Christ. And finally, she accepted Jesus Christ and used the balance of her years to undo the damage that had been done in her name. That does not occur because somebody read Good Housekeeping, uh, Woman's Daily Bazaar, whatever those magazines are, Time or Warner. It comes about through Jesus Christ and accepting Him as Lord and Savior. That's how it works. The next picture is of a young man. This young man is named Bill Murray. How many of y'all recognize him, just, just out of curiosity? His mother, you would recognize, her name was Madeline Murray O'Hare, the lady who used her son, and he agreed to it, to get rid of prayer in public school. He told the teacher he didn't want to pray. Now, Bill Murray became a Christian. In an interview with Mike Huckabee, you may have seen this. 
Here he said that his mother's response to him on becoming a Christian was this. This is what he said his mother said. One could call this a postnatal abortion on the part of a mother, I guess. I repudiate him entirely and completely for now and all times. He is beyond human forgiveness. You know the one thing about that that she says, the one forgiveness that every human being needs is from Jesus Christ. He made the right decision and now spend the rest of his life dehonoring Christ. She even said this, talking about we Christians, you're going to spend your whole life preparing to meet the Lord. Boy, you folks are as crazy, and then she uses a word with an H. Whoever's in Christ is a new creation. Bill Murray. The next picture. This one you may know if you're my age. Most people probably know who that is. His name is Charles Chuck Colson. He wrote a book. Now you know he'll become a Christian based on what I'm going to tell you the book. He wrote a book called Born Again. And the subtitle of the book is Whatever Happened to Richard Nixon's Hatchet Man? Charles Colson was one of the people instrumental in the Watergate activities and the cover-up of it former Nixon administration official and Watergate felon, served time over in a neighboring state of Alabama because of the Watergate scandal. Chuck Colson became a Christian. The way Chuck Colson became a Christian is people began to share the gospel with him and a man named Tom Phillips who was head of the Raytheon company had Chuck Colson in his house one night and shared C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, with him, which is a little small book, not a big one. And he read passages, he talked about Jesus. Listen to what Chuck Colson said. After talking to Tom, I found that when I got to the automobile to drive away, I couldn't. I was crying too hard. And I was not one to ever cry. I spent an hour calling out to God I don't even know the right words. I simply knew that I wanted Him. And I knew for certain that the God who created the universe heard my cry. From the next morning to this day, I've never looked back. I can honestly say that the worst day of the last 35 years has been better than the best days of the 41 years that preceded them. That's a pretty bold statement, giving my time in prison three major surgeries and two kids with cancer at the same time, but it is absolutely true. That's because for the last 35 years, whether in pain, suffering, joy, or jubilation, it makes no difference. I have known there was a purpose. I have known that I belong to Christ and I'm here on earth to advance His kingdom. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old thing have passed away. Behold, new things have come. I give you those stories because that story is replicated in everybody who accepts Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you're on the public purview. doesn't matter if you ever write a book. It doesn't matter if anybody ever notices that 
you've written something, a poem, anything. What matters is you and I as new creations in Christ serve Him faithfully. There is one purpose to life, and that is to serve God, and the result of it is joy that is inexpressible, a joy that carries on beyond the pale of death, goes outside the physical body that remains and scurries into the kingdom of heaven and say, thank you, Lord, for opening my eyes. Norma McCorvey, Bill Murray, Charles Colson. It goes on and on and on and on and on, the list of men and women who discovered what Paul wrote. Namely, in verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he is committed to us. Wait a minute. I've been reading that wrong a long time. I thought it said it committed to everybody else. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? He is committed to us, to me, to you, the word of reconciliation. People don't catch my dry humor. You're supposed to chuckle at that other thing I said. <laughs> Committed to us. It's my job. It's my opportunity. It is my privilege to share the word of Christ with whoever I counter. And then that my life gets changed by it. And there is a discernible, noticeable difference in who I am. We had a former professor at our university. You know how people write stuff on Facebook? I don't write anything on Facebook. I don't have a Facebook account. I've never, is it tweeted or twitted? I haven't done either one of those. I've, I don't even know that I've ever taken a selfie on purpose. <laughs> Maybe I did, I just didn't know it. My point is, when you put things up there, people read it. And this professor put this. Now, I'm glad this professor's gone from shorter. Here's what they said. I found that, and I'm summarizing it, not quoting exactly, a personal relationship with Jesus doesn't work for me. And it went on to talk about more cultural things. I have found that what doesn't work for me is everything else, only a personal relationship. When I am on my knees, as you are praying, I'm not praying to somebody up there somewhere. I'm praying, and you are, to the living God of the universe who hears my words and says, I will act on them in your best interest. It may not be what you want me to do, but I will do what's best for you, and I'll do it 100% of the time. And God's never spoken to me in an audible voice. He left us a pretty big message, didn't he? But God is always at work reconciling people through us. Gave to us in verse 18 the ministry of reconciliation. Last picture. The picture you'll see, this picture was painted by a man named Paul Robert at the turn of the 20th century. I know it's a little difficult to see, but I'll point out what I really want you to know. He was commissioned to paint something in the old Supreme Court building of Switzerland. 
So he painted this. It's called Justice Lifts the Nations. And if you look at it, it's not as clear on this one, but you can see justice, and in America, justice is typically blind, isn't it? Here, justice is fully sighted, holding in the right hand scales, and justice in her left hand is holding a sword. And the sword is pointing to a book at the bottom. The book says, the law of God. And all those gentlemen there are justices at various points of debate, and justice itself is reminding them that the only justice known to humanity comes from the law of God and not human beings. Every day, this was painted in a on the stairwell every day, those justices had to walk by that mural in order to get to their offices and to the court. Every day it was a reminder to them of the Word of God. Every day we are reminded by the Word of God of who we are, what we do, why we are here, and it begins with this, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have become archaic. Behold, new things have come. New stuff, joyous things, happy things, life-changing things. Martin Luther I began with him, we'll close with him. Martin Luther was one of the most inspirational people I think I've ever read about. Martin Luther died many, many, many years ago. But Martin Luther had a great wife. Her name was Katie Von Bora. He called her my little Katie. And she was a smart woman, and like any good wife, She'll tell her husband the truth. Isn't that right, ladies? Tell us the truth. We may not like it. You may have sugar-coated a little bit, but most wives have the gift of not doing that. Luther had been placed under the ban. Luther's life was at risk. Luther fell into a state of just, he was downcast. His wife put on mourning clothes, black morning clothes as if someone had died. And so she goes to see him and he looked at her and said, who has died? He said, she said, your God. He said, what? Said, your God has died. He said, what are you talking about? She said, well, you're here, you know, you're acting like God is not in control. He got the point. Stood up and said, my God can do all things. It stood up. She made her point that as Christians we go out of the congregation in a state of joy and happiness so that others can see us. Remember, we're new. We're not the people that were back there. We're not those people. If we have been changed, we're new, and that's how God sees us, new creation. Let's live it. Let's be it. Let's enjoy it so that somebody who needs hope, somebody that just sees us will say, 
I want that. I want it. I want to thank you for allowing me to share the Word of, of God. Appreciate Dr. May. You know, we have an outstanding uh, group of folks who serve here. I'm just amazed at what they do. They, they didn't ask me to say anything. This is what I say as a church member. And it's a delight to be at the house of God where people love Jesus Christ and want to see lives changed. And they are changed because of the faithful ministry of those whom the Lord has called. Just a minute, Brother Billy and others will be up. If you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, today is that day. Don't let it go by. There's nothing guaranteed. Or if you just need to come and pray at the altar, that's an opportunity, or speak with one of them. Just remember, our God is greater than anything in the world, and the hand of God in the life of a person changes everything. Behold, Whoever is in Christ is a new creation. Let me pray together.